Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the podcast in English, of course, exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, the grandest, greatest competition in South American club football. We are whistling through the group stages of the tournament. Myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver James Wilson wrapped up match day four in the group stages. We talked about perfect, relentless, 100% Palmeiras. Can anyone stop them retaining the title this year? We also spoke about Flamengo. We're going to score more goals than you. Is Gabby Goal going to score 11 goals in the remaining nine match weeks in the tournament to, to break some incredible records? We talked about Kuka and we talked about... Uh, how disappointing Nacional are and Rentistas, uh, plucky Rentistas and, and Defensive Justicia and lots more besides. Oli, that was, uh, we, we, we spoke at the top of the pod about how this round of group games has kind of twisted things and things became a little bit more serious from all the goals galore in the opening three games in the group. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good pod, my friend. I know you woke up about 4.45am to get in a bit of 18 holes uh, before your day started. So well done at 21 minutes past 10 to uh, on a Friday night for, for seeing it out. The, the dedication that I think both you and I show to this podcast is only matched by the dedication of Flamengo when the chips are down and they find themselves a way to get out of the holes that they get into sometimes in the Commodore Libertadores. We saw it on their run when they had the big comeback against Emelec mm. in 2019 in the knockout stages. We've seen it again against a far weaker Union La Calera side this week. And I I see myself probably as the Deras Cayeta of uh, of this podcast <laughs> well well I, that's humble very well, very well, humble I, you mean absolutely beyond talented brimming with quality and confidence but still in the in the <laughs> shadow of the think. bruno Enrique that is david windsor who is the man that can do it all can finish can create the chances uh, works his socks off every single week and i'm just behind playing the the feeder role at times and sometimes doing a bit more of the dirty stuff as well <laughs> <laughs> humble, humble but honest, Mr. Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. A busca pela glória eterna chega em seu ápice. Maracanã, 30 de janeiro de 2021. Cruzamento na área, não acreditou, veríssimo. Vem Palmeiras, Rony, cruzamento na área, Breno. Rather than waiting until a Sunday or a Monday or a Saturday, I kind of like it to fill it, finish off the working week and go into the weekend. Big time, and the time is now. And I am um, Ollie. Just just looking back on this round of group games, then match day four, been and gone in the Copa Libertadores. If the first three games, this is just straight away, like you say, it's very fresh in the mind right now. I haven't looked at the actual, I haven't calculated all the how many goals were scored in each round or anything like that. But if the first three rounds, Ollie felt like a complete free-for-all, goals galore, you know, the 4-4 draws, thrashings, this, that and the other. Match day four, just it just felt a little bit more like, okay, there's things on the line now. Sides were tightening up slightly. A few more mm. kind of, a few more kind of attritional results, attritional matches. There was plenty of intrigue, plenty for us to 
to chat about on the pod this week. But it just felt like the tone had changed slightly from that kind of, yeah, the Libertadores is back. Let's try and score seven against each other. It was just reined in slightly across the board, I felt. Yeah, it's the week, week four of when the serious business kicks in for the big players. So the free-for-all sides are suddenly just... It's all about getting the points to qualify as opposed to now being fun, fun and free-form, all-scoring all the time. And then for the, the plucky underdogs as well that are perhaps like in a position to get something done, it, it's the equivalent of having a 1-0 lead away from home against a big side in the group stage. You're like, oh. God, now we've got something to defend and hold on to, whether it's third place or potentially second or something. So so do we let our, our freak flag fly in this competition still or do we just <laughs> pull it back a little bit and maybe stick five at the back and try and batten down the hatches slightly? Uh, which is a shame, to be honest, because we have been so entertained. But I think you can tell as well that that just happens in a, in a six-game group with with four teams because it, it happened as well in the Commonwealth Sudamericana this week. Like, it just... It was all a bit more cagey, but that's okay because now we're playing with tension and tension adds to all the excitement anyway. It definitely racked it up this week, I felt, in terms of that. Let, let's start then, uh, which is a very good place to start, in Group A, Mr. Wilson. Independiente del Valle, nil, Palmeiras won. IDV had previously never lost at home in the Commodore Libertadores, which, you know, okay, it's not quite as impressive as if, a Olympia or Peñarol or River had never lost at home in the in the Copa Libertadores because of course they haven't didn't really start their their um, Libertadores journey till until 2016. But nonetheless, incredible to take that statistic into this game against the defending champions. But Palmeiras won by a goal to nil. Um, Luis Adriano won won the penalty, which was put away by Rafael Vega. And, and aside from that, really not too much happened. IDV had a free kick and Faravelli had a strike wide. and uh, But there wasn't too much to pick apart apart from the goal. One point, that, a couple of points that I'd like to make. First of all, Luis Adriano, in what is a ridiculously talented squad, Ollie, with that brace of assists last week for Honey and winning the penalty this time, he has just put himself right back. He's almost forcing himself back into... Abba Ferreira's best 11, right? And he was a player that you thought maybe he'd get phased out slightly here or there this year, but but he's still showing he is such a threat, mate. He had some really big moments in some big games in last year's competition. You think about yeah. the the first leg performance against River and it was Luis Adriano leading those counter-attacks that they were so impressive on in the group stage as well. He had a couple of important games where he just strutted his stuff and it was almost a little bit throwback, Luis Adriano. And I think in this tournament after perhaps I think he would feel he didn't finish the competition very well in the final uh, last year against Santos, even though they got the job done. Luis Adriano barely featured in that in the second leg against River. He finished with a little bit of a whimper as well. It seems like this competition at the moment, he's really just playing no pressure football. I guess because he knows as well that the players around him are more than capable of supporting. I mean, if you've got someone like Honey up alongside yeah. you, you know that you don't have to do all the hard graft your own. Honey's going to do a lot of that himself. And he's in the best form of arguably his Libertadores career at the moment. So, and that also takes attention off Luis Adriano because last year you'd argue he's the big name in the squad, potentially in that front line. I know that may be sound harsh to the likes of Honey from last year, because he's a great player. He always has been. But 
I think the attention now is just off Luis Adriano slightly. It gives him more room to work his stuff. Yeah. And I think you can kind of dovetail that with the fact that I think we're seeing a slightly different Honey now. There was a moment in this game, Ollie, where he kind of skins his man on the left-hand side. It's this beautiful mm. dummy to skin his man. And then he races in on goal. And I just wonder if the Honey of last season might have been like glancing to his right-hand side and looking to offload it because the angle's really tight and eventually he kind of forces a decent save from the keeper. But he's never going to score from that angle and he still takes it on himself. And you know, he's got four goals on the group stages. And I just wonder whether we're seeing this development. You know, he's 25. There's still room for him to develop. And I just wonder whether last year was all about the assists. But this year, it's all about... You know, last year was all about the team. But this year, maybe it's a bit more all about him. And I mean that in a good way. You know, saying someone's greed isn't necessarily a, a criticism or a compliment. But I just have noticed something a little bit different. He wants to score himself. He's suddenly got the acrobatic celebration. As you say, he's the main man. And it's fine when Palmeiras are, you know, scoring a lot of goals past everyone in the group stages. But that's going to be an interesting narrative, I think, to have a look at when things are a little bit tighter in the, you know, the quarterfinal clash, the semifinal clash. And should he play it square? Should he go himself? Who's going to take the penalties? That kind of thing. So definitely one to, to watch out for with Honey. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just how much pressure and expectation he's prepared to take and how well he runs with that. But you would also understand if, you know, somebody like Abel Ferreira is is looking at Honey and saying to the players around him, enjoy what he's doing right now because he is going to make life much easier for you. It, it's not a bad thing for him to be more selfish and for him to take the reins a bit more. It's A, it's great to have a leader in that front line for big games and B, as, as we say, it takes pressure off other people around and, and then other people can try and do different things perhaps that they wouldn't normally have to do if, if Honey wasn't controlling the game in the way that he is at the moment and playing in the style of football that he's in. It can only be beneficial unless the Gabby goal ego comes in and affects things, arguably. So I think, um, yeah, look, Palmeiras get a victory first, as you say, first team to beat um, Independiente del Valle in Ecuador on home soil. It's impressive. They continue to be impressive. They're not, they didn't, uh, you know, dig the trees out of the ground with this one. They weren't turning up tree trunks or anything like that, but they're still good. They're still very yeah. good. And I mean, it's... well, they're the only side... Yeah, no, sorry. The the only side to win four from four in the group stages. If Not to, you know, spoiler alert for anyone that's just tuning into the pod and hasn't seen the results, but the only side to win four, four from four. If... Do you see any weakness in this Palmeiras side or is it just the case of you get to a semi-final or a final and, and, and anything could happen? I mean, I can't... I can't really see a weakness in them, even though I actually don't think they're going to win it, but I can't see a weakness in them. I can't see a weakness, but I also don't think we've seen a stubbornness from any side that's faced them. The Independiente so, del Valle, yeah. Defensor Justicia, you know, Universitario are the weakest, clearly, in this group, as we've said before. They're, but the other two aren't sides that will pack and swarm and be a little rough around the edges or anything like that. That will be the key for Palmeiras when you get to a knockout stage tie and they're facing perhaps somebody a little more rough and rugged like a Racing or, you know, I mean, Flamengo can definitely you know, stick an elbow in if needed whenever it's, it's needed to with some of the hard grafters they've got in the middle of the park. Even a Boca, not to keep harking on about how good they are defensively but those are going to be the interesting ties now attack against attack Palmeiras can go against anybody and can beat them 
whether they can take on a side that stifles them much more or whether they can be stifled by some of the best defences in South American football, that's what we'll find out in the knockout stages if we get the chance to. It's going to be so interesting. Palmeiras qualified for the last 16. Before we talk about the other game, Ollie, in Group A, Universitaria 1, Defensa Justicia 1, I just want to point towards the fact that Palmeiras have qualified for the last 16 and they are at home against Defensa Justicia next up. And just with, I mean, it's looking like Defensa Justicia and and IDV will kind of be in a straight shootout now for that second spot in the group. Mm. Do you think Palmeiras, well, I think they, I think I know the answer. I mean, they will rest and rotate, I would have thought. They don't owe anyone anything, right? So they they will rest players ahead of that defense in that defensive DCA game next um, next week. You'd imagine so, which, I, could, I, which gives the Argentines a great opportunity. You would imagine so. I still think there's an intimidation factor, though, of someone like Defensa Justicia going to Palmeiras. I mean, that's certainly a problem. I still think that Defensa Justicia leave themselves so overly exposed at the back defensively, as we'll come on to talk about. I'm sure against Universitario in a, in a few minutes. I wouldn't say that's a game that you expect Defensa Justicia to go and win, even if players are rested for Palmeiras. If it, if it's a complete you know rookie side out, then yeah, maybe. But we know the depth of these Brazilian squads, as we've touched on before on this podcast. So it, it doesn't make it that much easier. It makes it a little easier, maybe, but it's not like it's a suddenly nailed on three points that Becca Sese's side should get. Sure. The other game in Group A, then, Universitaria 1, Defensa Justicia 1. Um, Quintero scores after... Well, in the first half, Defensa Justicia had so many chances. Brian Romero had so many opportunities that he couldn't take. Eventually, Quintero scores for Universitaria to make it 1-0, and Romero does get his goal in the second half to to, to bring it level at one apiece, and that's how it finished. Um, Defensa Justicia still never won away from home in the in the Commonwealth Libertadores. Obviously, that's... Um, Maybe slightly an unfair statistic because I've only been in it last year in this. But still, it's, it's something that now it's there, it's out there, it's been said, it's available. It, it's something that will just play on their mind every away game, I think, from from here on in. Um, yeah, Ollie. I mean, listen, Defensa Justicia would have looked at this and really wanted to pick up all three points. And on the balance of chances that they had and the fact that they are going to Palmeiras next before they host IDV in the final game of the group stages, they'll be disappointed with just a point. Massively disappointed. Massively disappointed. This was a chance to put the second spot in the group in their own hands and not quite kill it off, but certainly really establish themselves with a very strong foothold for keeping that second spot in the group. Because Independiente Del Valle just can't be trusted at the moment in this competition, however much uh, I personally enjoy (laughs) watching them, of course. (laughs) And considering the dominance that Defensa Eustisia had, particularly in that yeah. first 45 minutes. I mean, what Alberto Quintero was doing, getting that opportunity and giving Universitario the lead towards the end of the first half is unbelievable. I can't imagine Becca Sese's team talk would have been a joyous one to be in at all at halftime. Let's just give thanks for Brian Romero back playing in the Copa Libertadores after the sensational Comeball Sudamericana mm. scoring streak that he got himself on. He and Walter Bow. 10? 10 last year. Double figures. Last, 10, 10 last ten, year. Double figures, yeah. And gets it gets in the game. Yeah, wastes a lot of chances in the first half. Wasted quite a lot of chances. And it's not a pretty <laughs> yeah. goal either. It's not one no, that's no. gonna be in the uh in the memory bank for too long. But it's an important goal. It salvages a point on the road. You'll take points on the road as well. Um the only thing I would worry about 
is how much penetration that Universitario got down the flanks. Both left and right were where a lot of the problems came for defence at Eustitia. And I just wonder perhaps if uh, Rodriguez and Rotondi, who were on the right and left flank this week, were just pushing a little too high up the pitch and leaving suddenly the back three a little more exposed. And and suddenly that's something that uh, Independiente del Valle side will probably take care of. That's a that's something that Palmeiras will certainly get the job done if there's that amount of room on either flank. There's, again, defensive Eustace, you play great football, but defensively they're so exposed at times. A very high back line as well in awkward moments that's easily played in behind. Yeah, it's a good point on the road. It's not, it's too shaky. It's really tough to call this second spot in Group A. Really <laughs> tough. It is. And it's, it's just so good, Ollie, that the last group game is defensive UTC against mm. um, IDV in, in Buenos Aires. And and almost regardless, I mean, it would have to be a complete sway both ways, but for that not still to be a kind of winner-takes-all contest. So as it stands, defensive UTC in second on five points, IDV uh, on four points. And yeah, defensive UTC have to go to Palmeiras next and, and IDV away at Universitaria. So... Yeah, it's um, it's all set for that grandstand finish on the twenty seventh of May for a straight shootout as to who will take second place in the group. Yeah, who do you let's... want in the Sudamericana? Like, which I... one of those do you think will provide better value in the I Sudamericana? Mean, they're both teams that you imagine will take it seriously, and they're both the previous two winners, so it doesn't really matter sure. at that point. I mean, it's going to be they're going to be a good side, an entertaining side to watch, regardless. Um, I guess from my own personal perspective, I probably want Independiente del Valle. I, I enjoy covering their games and I'm focusing a lot on the Sudamericana this year as normal. But, I mean, Becca Sese is just such a good character as well on the sideline. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that nose peeking out over the mask. <laughs> just can't quite wear it properly. It's, no. it's great. <laughs> Group B, Deportivo Táchira 2, Internacional 1. Yeah, Incredible okay. result. No. Yeah, go, Wilson. Go, go, go. We're, the arms are up. We're, we're throwing out Group B. I don't understand. This is both the amazing thing one. about South American football, but the uh, kind of maddening thing as well. Last week, oh, 10 goals in two games. Oh, my God. Oh, have they got a better goal difference? Oh, isn't that fantastic? Ha, ha, ha. Internacional is so good. They've recovered from their early bump. Now, what the hell is going on away from home? Disastrous performance. And then on the other side, Olympia, so bad last week, get hammered, but then go to a, an always-ready side that have been so gutsy and feisty in Bolivia and get a victory. Like, yeah. I can't get my head around South American football at the best of times. This is why the Copa Libertadores is great. <laughs> it's insane. For for the group yeah. to be set up the way it is as well, before we get into both games, uh, into the nitty-gritty, I mean, you wouldn't bet All against sides on any points, of these sides. Yeah, you wouldn't bet yeah. against any of these sides getting through and us having a real rogue side suddenly in the knockout competition. Yeah, as you say, Oli, I mean, at the end of match day four, all sides are on six points. Um, they've all played four, they've all won two and uh, and lost two. So yeah, I mean, Inter, two defeats away from home and as you say, 10 goals in, in, in two games at home. So really bizarre. As for the, the, the game against Deportivo Tachira, 
Well, it started well enough. Thiago Gallardo scores a penalty, his fourth goal of the competition so far. And really, it was just two horrible defensive errors, mate, really. And it allowed Hernandez and then Maris Kova to score from the penalty spot in 86 minutes to, to tuck it away in their first... Um, First win for a Venezuelan side over a Brazilian side in 31 games in the in the in the Libertadores. So, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing result for Deportivo Táchira. Puts them right in the hunt of qualification. It's a terrible result for Internacional. It's a disgrace, to be honest. Defensively, it's an absolute disaster at yeah. the back from Internacional. Throughout the, the second 90 one minutes, for me, Oli. well, throughout the whole well, game, I thought they were all over the place. And, and you see it in that second half in particular when there's the, the moment where Deportivo Tachira have three point-blank efforts on goal yeah. that, like, ping off a post and ping off a defender and Inter just can't get it clear and can't get themselves organised. And and to be honest, Deportivo Tachira did a really good job of using the exposed defence that Inter had, you know, when they were given space in behind, when they were given passing lanes through the middle. They used it all really well. But for Inter to be that disorganised, for this good aside in theory to be that disorganised, is pretty damn shocking, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with the kind of the comprehensive nature of how poor they were defensively. But I just felt that the, the penalty that was given away for Deportivo Tachira to win it, you know, if Inter walk away with a 1-1, you think, OK, away from home in the Libertadores, the point's never a bad result, especially coming off the back of two home wins. They, they hadn't played great. They'd made defensive errors. But there's this mix-up between um, Lomba, Marcelo Lomba and Edna Nielsen at the back, which is just mm. a mess to, 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 to result in the penalty kick. Um, I mean, I still fancy Inter to go through. They go away to Olympia next, and they're home against Always Ready on the 26th of May. So I do still fancy them to win it just in, in terms of quality. Um, but but as you say, I mean, after four match days, everyone on six points is anyone's game. Um, the yeah. other game in this group, Oli, unless you sorry, have you got any more notes on Deportivo Tachira? Oh, it, just, it wasn't the strongest inter side either. I mean, I don't need to say it again, but missing Patrick is obviously a, is a big problem. But Edge Nielsen on the, on the bench as well. I mean, Victor Cuesta and Zay Gabriel is a back to Victor Cuesta is an excellent defender, but you know, and, I mean, he's an excellent forward. Like he's yeah. always involved gets he's goals. always involved up there gets goals and there's never a set piece where he's not sort of yeah just involved he, he, it was kind of a foul on him that led to the penalty so I mean I love a goal scoring defender so yeah yeah it's um so maybe maybe Miguel Angel Ramirez just kind of tried to ride his luck tried to do a bit of the gachado and just uh you know put out a weakened side on the road against a lesser team but he's paid the price in Venezuela and been punished Needs a few more years before he's in Gachado's territory of pulling off those um, draws away from home in the Libertadores with a weakened, weakened team. Needs a suit, mate. You can't do it without a suit. <laughs> yeah. Amateur no, 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 you can't. Uh, the other game in this group was Always Ready 1, Olympia 2. And coming into this, Ollie, Always Ready had only won two games before in the history of the Libertadores. Both came this year. Both came at home in this group, obviously. Um, and they've lost, they've lost this 2-1 to Olympia uh well it was just a it, it was it was an odd game really it was ready well Gonzalez scored a, a lovely goal uh to give Olympia the lead Romayo equalizes on 42 minutes and then Alejandro Silva the the substitute pops up and it was a lovely Nesta Camacho assist as well mm. I remember him a couple of years ago he was someone we really had an eye on Nesta Camacho and, and just before that goal he kind of gave always ready a warning sign he was just starting to it was that phase of the game where 
everything felt more open and Camacho had that little extra split second on the ball and you could see it coming. He had a ball into the penalty area which didn't quite come off and then he lays it on a plate for Alejandro Silva to, to score and give Olympia all three points and yeah, put them on six points like the rest. I think both deliveries, uh, the, the cross from Ivan Torres and Nesta Camacho for both yeah. the Olympia goals actually are really nice. It's it looks really simple, but quality service from a wide position into a forward's path and leaving him with very little to do is always something that I really enjoy watching. Um, yeah, I was just surprised. The Bolivians always really started very well in this game, I thought. Again, I just felt it was that typical, from what we've seen already in this competition, industriousness, I think, is the way you describe how they go about in games. And, and I thought the way they started, they were going to kind of take control of this game. Because if you start well in Bolivia, you naturally assume that the Bolivians are going to carry on that as as visiting side struggle in uh, in the country. And it just wasn't the case. You know, credit to Olympia for coming back and getting themselves in it. It puts them right in the thick of the hunt for, for going through again as well, where perhaps if they'd lost this game, you would have you would have worried about whether they were able to find a way out of this group or, you know, being cast to a drift of, of Inter and, and always ready, always ready would have been on nine points had they got the victory. So yeah, it's um it prevents the Cinderella story for always ready at the moment. After finally getting their first two wins in the competition, if they could go through this in this group, that would be that would be something really just quite nice. I know that's a horrible adjective to use, but it is just a nice little story to have oh, running right. through the... Uh, <laughs> and to have a bloody... Are you Brazil- patting them on the top of the head while you say that, Oli? Oh, there, there. <laughs> there, there. There you go. Good lad. But to have a Bolivian side in the knockout stages as well. I mean, uh, like, I've <laughs> been waiting for that for a while. It'd be so awesome if a non-Argentine or Brazilian side won it this year. It'd be so awesome. Still it's on that. so unlikely. I'll give you massive... Right, let's talk about Group C. Santos won Boca Juniors nil. Oli, Carlos Tevez has an early chance in this for Boca. It's a sitter. I'm going to be honest. It's a sitter. Ball's played across the the face of goal by uh, Pavon, I think. And, um, And Tevez just puts it over the crossbar. Now... If you read any kind of, if you talk to Boca fans, if you read, if you listen to Boca pods, all this kind of stuff, they always say we're we're missing fullbacks and we're missing a striker. Forget the fullbacks. The fullbacks is not the problem. The problem is you don't have a striker. Mm-hmm. We've been saying it on Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast for two years. It's ridiculous. The chance for Carlos Tevez, if that falls to Hulk, if that falls to Fred, if that falls to Borja, if that falls to, I'm not even going to mention Gabby Gol and others because they can't get him, but they could have got the aforementioned players. If that falls even for like Carlos Garces at Barcelona, not to mention another 10 names in your head right now in the Libertadores, they score. And I know it's not, it's really easy outside looking in to say, oh, why don't you buy him? Why don't you buy him? Why don't you buy him in a pandemic? I know there's financial restraints. I'm sure there's Lots of things that have to be considered when a club like Boca go out and buy a centre-forward. But also, Oli, they are Boca juniors. And they're not going to win anything without a proper centre-forward. They're really not. They obviously let um, Ramon Wanchope Abila go. Abila wasn't the greatest striker in the world, but he did. Still a predator, a though. focal point. Still a predator. Yeah, and exactly. I, I did see this week uh, Wanchope, I think, got his first goal for Minnesota United. And it was very much a predator inside the 18-yard box. And you saw it and you were like, oh, well, imagine if Boca Juniors just had that. <laughs> had someone to finish from 10 mm. yards out. That would be fantastic. I mean, 
you can mention yeah. all of those names, but even like again, you know, the Ecuadorian sides have players that just continue to come through and and look like decent goal scorers. I mean, it can't be too hard as Boca Juniors to lure uh, uh, Christian Ortiz to Buenos Aires. Like that's a better move. However much there's the mystique and obviously the the joy of playing in your own country and everything like that, to go and play at the Bombonera. And this is where, this is the thing that always cracks me up with Boca Juniors anyway, the the romanticism of sport, which I love. I love players staying at clubs, returning back to clubs. You know, if Messi goes back to Newell's old boys, things like that. that. That kind of stuff is just great. It paints the glorious picture of what football used to be. If Messi goes back to Newell's old boys, Ollie, then yeah, I mean that's there is still magic that's in an football. individual pod in itself. Yeah. Then absolutely, but but there is a time where you can overly romanticise, and that happened about thirty years ago, I think, with Boca Juniors, because it is a club that is just <laughs> built on the oh, Riquelme's back, Riquelme, Riquelme, be our sure. leader. Oh, Carlitos is back, Carlitos, Carlitos, Carlitos. Sure, He's called sure. Carlos Tevez. He's not an out-and-out forward. <laughs> you need to go and replace him. Yeah, well, well, okay, but I mean, but he's not actually the problem, is it? Like, it's fine having Carlos Tevez in that squad to use occasionally, bring off the bench, play when... But, but you need a main striker. Anyway, they, uh, you know, we sort of digress in this, but they don't have one. It's crazy they don't have one. Um surely they've got to get one but yeah so Tevez misses that amazing chance and then Santos just about did enough really um yeah they won 1-0 Felipe Jonathan scores on 41 minutes after Kai Jorge had picked him out pretty nicely I'm going to give Kai Jorge the benefit of the doubt and say that he kind of saw him at the corner of his eye so clipped it in and, and uh, Felipe Jonathan keeps his composure really well to slot at home not much else happened in the game Bock had a few pot shots and range Santos did just about enough new boss for Santos Fernando Diniz um, now in charge. Uh, Ollie, you weren't impressed by Santos's 5-0 victory over the strongest. Mm-hmm. So are you impressed by their 1-0 victory over Boca? What I was very impressed with was the way they kept Vija locked up for yeah, a lot yeah. of this game. That that was imperative, I think, to getting a result against Boca. He was so quiet, limited to so few opportunities to make that diagonal run, to get in behind, to to get a clean sight on goal. Let Tevez miss all the opportunities he wants to. And just in general, Santos, Boca were really attacking in the first half, I thought. They created a, l- a lot of good chances and half chances. And again, Santos in the second half just kind of locked it down a bit more. It wasn't pretty. It's quite an ugly way to go about getting a victory on home soil, but it's kind of a very Boca way to do it. Look, let's just be solid defensively, limit chances. And as you mentioned, the composure from Felipe Jonathan in his finish was excellent and that's what they do they escape with a 1-0 victory and this this is more impressive than the victory over the strongest for sure no Marino as well no Marino in the squad so they did it without him we, we do it every week with Santos but I'm going to do it again because it's ridiculous you look at their side and you think oh, Jorge's 19 Angelo's a teenager Felipe Jonathan's 23 Kaiki's 17 Luan Perez is young uh, Vinicius and, uh, is young Gabriel Pirani I think is 20 even the keepers early 20s I mean yeah I'm not going to say if they can keep this group of players together because quite obviously they can't anyone who rises above that will will get picked off because that's what happens but at the same time um, it's, it's just great to watch a, a young side like this play um, and, and where and where does that leave well I'll tell you where it leaves the group Ollie, and then you tell me who you who you fancy to go through so Barcelona's still top of the pile on nine points Santos and Boca now with three points each the strongest are on um, 
Santos and Bock have six points each, sorry. And the strongest have three points, but with a really poor goal uh, difference. Next up next week, the strongest at home to Santos and Bocca at home to Barcelona. Now, in fact, Bocca's last two games are at home. They're at home to Barcelona, home to the strongest. You'd still be very, very surprised if Bocca don't make it through. With Santos having to go to the strongest and then Santos going away to Barcelona. I mean, it's still totally in Bocca's hands. It'd still be calamitous if they don't make it from here. I think you'd have definitely said two home games with home fans in the ground. That's Bocca still going through. Maybe the Bombonera isn't quite as intimidating, but sides still seem to be struggling on the road in the Libertadores. We're seeing slightly weakened teams being played by some sides as well when they go away. There's obviously still the impact of, of COVID, massive impact of COVID and various other things going on in South America that can change things. Yeah, Boca, I'd still fancy them. I mean, we haven't touched on the strongest victory over Barcelona yet, which was just like, I mean, considering how much we've... You, you applaud Barcelona for three weeks and then they go to the strongest and put in that level of performance. I mean, it was just <laughs> chalk and cheese to everything we've expected. I didn't see Weird. either of the fullbacks bombing on. I actually, from from the extended highlights I have seen of this game, looked like the strongest kind of controlled a lot of it. Were very good. Very good. I mean, they did. by a mile, the yeah, best, yeah, they best did. performance we've seen from them in this competition so far. Definitely. I mean, you can factor in La Paz maybe, but... Um, yeah, the strongest of by far the better sides. Uh, it's a great double from Reynoso. Uh, Barcelona did have a chance where Carlos Garces hits the, the woodwork, or kind of skims the top of the crossbar rather, um, at 1-0 down. Clearly, if that goes in, different story. But yeah, really, really bad result for Barcelona. Lucky for them, it, it does look like they'll they'll still be okay to go through. And it's, it's, it's all about um, the Boca-Santos fight, really, especially with Santos having their last two games in the group away from home. Mm. Um, yeah, Barcelona should be fine. Never count out a Barcelona capitulation, though, Windsor. This is the Libertadores, after all, and we were singing their praises after only being halfway there. If you're not there yet, you can't. we can't afford yeah. to be giving too much love. Uh, that Reynoso second goal, by the way, against Barcelona. Just, if you like direct football, one hoof, another pass, mm. Reynoso's in behind, job done. Like, two passes, yeah, full length of the pitch. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> Let's start with Junior One Racing. Excuse me. Whoa. Let's whoa, start. It's whoa. Late, there are Argentinians whoa, everywhere. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Up in up. Argentines out there. Absolutely. Turning off the pod, unsubscribing. Um, let me go again. Junior One River Plates One. Um, Ollie, the balls on Marcelo Gachado. Borre didn't start. Nico de la Cruz didn't start. Suarez didn't start. And this is River coming into this this game in a fairly not comfortable situation whatsoever in Group D. Obviously, they got the Super Classico domestically against Boca Juniors on Sunday. I think it's European time. It's kind of um, 9.30 or 10.30 on, on Sunday night. I mean, I could understand Gachado resting players last week away at Santa Fe. I thought this was even braver to rest players away at junior. Mm. But he did it. They pinched a 1-1. Um, Miguel Borja scores off to 20 minutes to give junior the lead and, and River get the very late goal through through the Chilean Paulo Diaz in stoppage time at the end of the 90. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's like clockwork. It's what River do in the group stages. They do just about enough, and then they come to life in the in the knockout phase of the competition. But even for Gashado, Ali, that I mean, not starting Borre, who by the way was linked to Watford recently. I don't know whether you saw that. That's one to keep an eye on. Uh, not starting Nico de la Cruz. I mean, that's it's punchy. Yeah, Alex, he's got away with Alex Vigo getting his first appearance in the Libertadores or first start in the Libertadores this year as well, and at right back. I mean, yeah, it's. It's, do you find it, again, we were talking about the craziness of the Libertadores. Do you find River Plate, like, even if you like them, there's, like, an insane arrogance about it that is going to eventually get you coming unstuck? And I'm not saying they're not going to get <laughs> through this group because River are River, will, you'd expect yeah. them to. But, but yeah, I just... A 93rd-minute header from a centre-back getting you out of jail <laughs> in Colombia. I didn't expect I didn't expect to, to to keep doing what he's doing in, in what is probably his last season at the helm, right? Like, he doesn't really have the players to be resting and rotating anymore. Mm. You know, Nacho, I'm not going to list the, player, the list of River players that have gone, but you're sort of closing in on five, six, seven really important players that have left in the last two years. So he is dealing with... I quite like Federico Girotti, by the way. Yeah. I think he's, he's got something about him. It's almost... I know a lot of the, the talk and the heat is on um, Alvarez, who does look good as well. But Girotti's got something about him. I like him. It's a good um, comparison sorry, between those back two. To, like they're they, they kind yeah. of similar in Alvarez, the way he made the impact last year. Girotti's doing that same kind of thing this year. This sounds a bit kind of uh, wishy-washy, but... I think the phrase putting himself about in the front line is how you describe it in these mm. last two games. He's kind of just been a bit of everywhere sure. and trying trying his hand at everything, long shots, stealing in behind, playing off the back line and being a bit of hold-up play as well. Um, yeah, he's he's obviously trying to make his statement with the opportunities that Gachado's mm. giving him. Yeah, I like the look of him. Um, yeah, as for Junior Ollie, I mean, just some stats on Miguel Borja. Six goals in the tournament this year. He's got 23 goals in 44 Libertadores games. So he's basically one in two in the Libertadores. God, imagine. Boca Juniors. Yeah. <laughs> just go and get him. Just go and get him. Even though, just go and get him. Like, he's not even older. I mean, for South American stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got he's at least 18 29. years in him before he's over the <laughs> yeah. hill. He's got another good decade. He's got a good <laughs> n- another decade in him, mate, before he has to drop down and play for, you know, And Vélez if he, or something if he like becomes that. an icon at Boca, that's another five years on top of that decade because they'll just hold on to him for <laughs> as long as they can. They'll keep him going. Yeah, get the drugs in him or whatever. It'd be like what Milan used to do with all the Brazilians, like Cafu, just turn up at 37 and sure. play until he's like 48 or something. Uh, yeah, and then he could probably have a couple of years at Huracan to take him to 39-40, yeah. go to a club in Uruguay, Montevideo, just across the water, take him to his early 40s. But yeah, no, Miguel Borja, I mean, listen, if Junior don't go through in this group, I would expect a lot of clubs to come in for him um, because he's a guarantee, you know, 23-44 and 44, Libertadores yeah, game. Quality. He's, a, he's a goal machine on this at this level. Yeah, it really quality. is good. Um, and the other game in... Group D was uh, Fluminense 2, Santa Fe 1. What happened in this one? Well, Santa Fe took the lead. Uh, It's a lovely goal from Gonzalez. And then Fred the finisher makes it one apiece. And then Caio scores to make it 2-1 to to Fluminense. Um, I've got... uh, Yeah, no, I was just thinking about Fred. Ollie, because um, I've just just got just looking who assisted the goal, and yeah, I remember it now. It was it was Kaiki, 
Uh, Kaiki, the young man bound for Manchester City, laying it in, in on a plate to Fred. And it's just that two-touch finish that Fred loves, isn't it? You know he's not taking a third touch. Yeah. He could, he's either trying to take it first time or it's just one touch and hit. And, and, and that was the case. And, and Flume... It's that ability to get it out of his feet with that one touch that a great centre forward has. He's not like still trying to stumble with it underneath him or anything like that. It's And that's what we've been talking about, I think, when you mention these old strikers that... Yeah, they can't run like they used to be able to, but you don't lose it. And that's what you don't lose is that initial touch to get it out of the feet or be able to make that turn. Just make your defender lose that half yard that opens up the shooting opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... I mean, I'm loving watching all the old strikers. I really am. I I I love watching... Um, how they've still got it. And they're so pumped as well, man. They really want it. We'll talk about Hulk maybe a little bit later. But, you know, he was his celebration, he was just buzzing, absolutely pumped to be playing. And this is with no fans in the ground. <laughs> I think it's, it's a great it's a great, um, great career trajectory coming back to have a few years in the Libertadores. Group Ooh, E. I was just going to say, Independiente yeah, Santa sorry, Fe, though, go, I thought go, were go. very good for chunks of their mm-hmm. game. I mean, the goal is... is a brilliant counter-attack and the finish on the volley is superb from... Uh, Almost one movement, isn't it? Yeah, from Gonzalez. I mean, it's just... Yeah, the young man, yeah. And their build-up play around the final third at times I thought was entertaining to watch at least. It didn't look like a, a whipping boy side. It, again, it looked like a really good performance going to Brazil and not being fearful and, and, and taking the initiative. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately... Uh, by the way, with Keiki, are we going to say the man destined for Manchester City every time we mention it. <laughs> I just noticed that's the moniker that we use every week. Because if you're new to the podcast, that you don't know, he, you might not know that Cake is going if this is the first time you listen. All right, I <laughs> promise not to say it again until the knockout stages and then I'll say it from then on. Um, no, no, I'm not putting an embargo on it no, at I, all. I, think, I like it as a... No, no, but <laughs> I think... Um, I think why I like it, Ollie, is because you don't get to say when you're covering the Libertadores much bound for Manchester City, do you? Mm. Or bound for Real Madrid. So when it happens, it's like, it's notable. You, know? you should you should perhaps change it to <laughs> Premier League bound for the reigning Premier League champions now. Now the title's been mopped sure, up and everything sure. like that. Maybe uh, that's... Topical, yeah, topical, yeah, yeah. topical. Yeah. Also <laughs> dating the podcast good. nicely. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also think for the back catalogue, uh, will um, But I also think that I'd probably say... River, uh, I I sort of say, oh, Gashada makes a habit of squeaking through the groups as much as I say. That's Kaiki true. Bound for that Manchester is City. true. So yeah. Two verbal, two verbal ticks for me to look out for. <laughs> um, on to Group E. I don't have too many notes on on Sporting Cristal nil Racing. Two. Sporting Cristal had so many chances in the first half, it was ridiculous. Didn't take any. I've just got Sporting I've got Sporting Cristal, loads of chances. Rassing clinical. Both the goals for Rassing. I mean, if you only take a look at a couple of goals on YouTube this 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 week, have a look at these in the in the Sporting Cristal Rassing game. Because Chankalai's goal is amazing. Mm. Just because he's just so tight in the box and he just the shift of weight is so clever and he lashes it in the back of the net. And then Piatti's just a uh, it's just, um, it's just a great strike, really. It's just a veteran, 36 years of age, I think, uh, Ignacio Piatti. And he just takes a hit from range and it strikes the woodwork and goes in. looks beautiful. And it's a great result. It wasn't a great performance, I don't think, from Racing, but it was a, that's a great result, Ollie. 
quality victory, a victory they shouldn't have ever got anywhere near close to having. Mm. Only Washington Caruso, the man who wasted so many opportunities last week, could take one of the 20 to 25 efforts that he gets every single <laughs> week. I mean, it, it's painful watching him play because everything but the finish is excellent. You know, his timing of his run to beat the offside trap on occasion has been quality. His ability to put himself in situations where he's got the clean sight at goal and then he just fluffed his lines over and over again. And if you're a Sporting Cristal fan, which I'm not sure how many of them listen to the podcast, if any, but if you are, you've been sat there with your head in your hands for the 90 minutes and then, yeah, Rassing in the last 15. Chankalai, I think that is... I, I think it's a better goal than Piatti. Because it's a more unusual goal. I mean, Piatti's great, but it is essentially he's just put his foot through it, right? And it looks really glorious because it strikes the woodwork and goes in and he's from range. But, but Chankalai's... It's a difficult, difficult technique. It, it, it's so tight in. The angle the turn, the balance and vision and the pass as well to, to get it into Chankalai were all just top level. And I think as well for Thomas Chankalai, who hasn't had many opportunities, quite young still, I think, Chankalai, um, hasn't had many yeah, opportunities yeah. in the Libertadores, if any, really, uh, until this year, has been when he has showed up in this group and when he's been given the opportunity by wrestling. He has performed really well. And yeah, the, the, the men off the bench were the men that made it for wrestling this week. Uh, and, you know, you have to give some credit to the gaffer, uh, to Juan Pizzi, for making the changes. But you think Chankalai and Piatti with the goals. Mena creates the goal for Chankalai. Piatti's, again, wonder striking off the bar. It never looks bad. But it did require the late finishes from the substitutes for wrestling to get the job done. Mm. It, it was a spectacular victory in the end, if you just look at the last 15 minutes. For Sporting Cristal, it's a big missed opportunity to pick up three points on home soil. Huge, huge the chances missed. And the other the other game in this group is Rentistas 1, Sao Paulo 1. Um, Orejuela scores for Sao Paulo early on and then uh, Gonzalez after to 13 minutes. For me, this game, Oli, was about um, Nicolas Rossi, the, the Rentistas goalkeeper who saved the penalty and he just had like a string of really, really good saves. 22 years of age, the Rentistas goalkeeper. Rentistas still looking for their first win in the competition, but they haven't given a bad account of themselves at all, Oli, in the in the group stages so far after match day four. They've got three draws, one defeat. Technically, they're still in it. They've got three points, whereas Sao Paulo and Racing are on eight points in the group. Uh, so they have to win their two remaining games. I mean, you know, it's... um. It's unlikely. It's, uh, it's very, very unlikely. But yeah, it's unlikely. But they could still finish in the in the Sudamericana and, and that probably is more like their level. And for Rentistas to host Sao Paulo and get a point, that's, I mean, that's huge. It's not quite as big as when Binacional beat Sao Paulo in Peru last year. That was insane for, for a side like Binacional. Mm. But this is as kind of high up there for a side in their first ever Libertadores competition. And, and as you say, have made a great account of themselves. Again, it's been like a no fear attitude towards it. And uh, Rossi makes some great saves. It's a poor penalty by the ironically named Victor Bueno, whose penalty is no bueno. Um, I just thought this was a bit of a mad one in general. Like Sao Paulo didn't it give was. a good account of themselves at all. They're, it was quite scrappy. The, the goal's nothing too special. Orejuela kind of gets a wayward head on to the delivery in from the set piece and then it kind of loops 
angles into the far corner, but I'm not necessarily sure if that's what he wanted to do. And it didn't, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. Rentistas took the game to Sao Paulo at times. Then you've got this mad moment with the back pass in the second half and a, and a indirect yeah. free kick from point blank range. And it was just, yeah, it was just, again, a bit bonkers. <laughs> it's just Copa Libertadores, <laughs> like <laughs> middle of the week, anything can happen. It was fun, man. Definitely. It was really fun. I'm off the and Sao Paulo bandwagon. Are you? I still think there's a lot there that I like. A lot there that I like. I think the first two Listen, weeks flattered easy, to deceive because these last two weeks haven't been that pretty. Two draws away from home? Yeah, but... I don't know. It's not too bad after you won your first two. Like, it's not... Um, do you not think the... Do, I just want to... The way they've gone about it, though. It, it hasn't been pretty to watch. It's been... No, I mean, they concede, they've conceded one goal in four, in four games. Yeah, which is... I don't know. I... I, I yeah, I think the Sao Paulo side still is still. They're a contender. I was going to say they could. I mean, they. Yeah, they're a contender. That, let's put it that way. I just want to say as well. I mean, you you should never, in football and in life, sort of look back. But I mentioned it at the time. Rentistas' debut in the competition in that first match day against Racing, one nil up, Oli, and Caceres scores in the 90th minute to pinch a point for Racing. If they'd have just held on to that. Mm. All of a sudden, they'd have five points. Rassen would have six. And it, you'd be thinking, Jesus, that they can actually do this with two games to go. Um, you know, it, it's pointless <laughs> talking about the what-ifs. But yeah, as it stands, listen, Sao Paulo and Rassen will, will will surely qualify for the last six What do you think uh, is worse? What-ifs of Sporting Cristal fans with Washington Corozo or what-ifs for Rentistas fans thinking about that result against Rassen? What's harder? Rentistas. <laughs> Rentistas. Because Sporting Cristal are like... They're, they're, Rentistas, this is their debut in the competition in unusual circumstances that they're here. And it's just a, an, I just think that first game, they might think, oh, if there were fans in the ground in that first game, could we have just, you know, got our side over the line? And no, I think that'll, I think that'll sting that one. Fair. Um, but listen, they'll go into the Sudamerica. <laughs> Let's have a look at Argentinos Juniors nil, Universidad Católica 1. Argentinos Juniors have won three on the spin coming into this. Nine points on the board. They'd never won four in a row in the Libertadores. Not even in 1985 when they won the competition. And this game really for me is just like, I don't know why I'm laughing, but Gabriel Alche gets sent off in the first half. For the most insane, he basically just kicks someone. He basically just runs over and (laughs) kicks someone. But I always think when a player does that, you've got to think like, okay, this person's a human being, like they're affected by stuff. But just any kind of ability, Gabriel Alche, to zoom out slightly and think your side have won the first three games in the group. Just, just don't run over and kick someone. Just keep it eleven against eleven. The worst that's going to happen is you draw the game and you're pretty much through. You'll be on ten points after four games. I just love the the childlike. Just it's just so stupid. Like stupid is the only word. And 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 um Universidad Catolica scored through Zampedri on seventy four minutes and went on and won the game. He has two nibbles at him. And yeah, yeah. there's like a nibble, then there's a bite, and then he goes for the whole freaking pizza in one go. Like he just Then he's like, Screw it, I'm kicking. Yeah. Oh, you're not going down <laughs> easily after these small touches. Alright, I'll 
make sure you go down easily because that's what we do in South America. If you get touched, you better go down. So I'm going to touch you and you're going down. I just <laughs> tries to kick him into row Z. I mean, it's just insane. Just insane for a player who's so important to this side and so experienced to have that level of ineptitude in knowing the situation and his surroundings is beyond unbelievable. And yeah, it's... it's, it's even, there's no... There's no crowd. Like, there's no one like him on, yeah. really pumped up. It's not like, oh, if we don't win this game, shit, if we don't, we have to win this game, it's do or die. Like, it's just such a, it's so selfish. Have you ever, like, it's so you selfish. You ever seen Mike Bassett, England manager? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's wacko. It is wacko from that movie. <laughs> that is, I, didn't, I didn't think Gabriel Alge would be compared to, to yeah. But then you look oh, at Edson Butch. And his second yellow card is just as equally ridiculous at the end, and it almost costs Universidad Católica the win on the road. It's still <laughs> more acceptable for still me. Still stupid. Still really stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, but it's just not in the same paradigm. Yeah, of course. I actually quite like Gab. There's there's a weird part of me that respects Gabriel Alche for for just that that um just being so selfish and just thinking about his own two-second gratification <laughs> at the expense of his teammates, the fans and the squad, just really having a self-indulgent moment. Glorious. Ollie, what's the opposite of a 4-4 draw? Uh, Atletico Nacional v Nacional? <laughs> yeah, which is 0-0. So it was 4-4 in the reverse fixture, which was, I'd almost prefer to talk about that one just again and pretend that happened the second time around, <laughs> but it didn't. Uh, 0-0, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have many notes on this one. Not too much happened. I guess, like, it's a half-decent result for Atletico Nacional. Maybe they're still very much in contention to finish in the top two in, in what is a tight group, really, underneath Argentinos Juniors. But, yeah, no no real... um Nothing for me to be comprehensive about here. I mean, what are Nacional doing in this tournament at this point? Like, two red cards. Just sad, uh, a, a litany of yellow cards in the game. Um, the Reds admittedly coming quite late, so Atletico Nacional can't capitalise on it. But it's just like this was and has been a side that's been in the knockout stages the last two years. And they're so far removed from any sort of quality to get through a group stage at this point, the Uruguayans. And you, you compare them to what Rentistas are doing. And I don't want to yeah. go on like save it for the, the supplementary podcast, but you look at what Peñarol are doing in the Copa Sudamericana and, and how they're taking care of business, 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 business. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, thanks. <laughs> it's such a shame that we've got this Nacional side in the Libertadores instead that provide almost nothing of enjoyment to watch in this whole competition so far. And I know it sounds a bit harsh, but it, <laughs> well, I mean, it, uh, do you think their fans, Ollie, are just sat in flats in Montevideo, like with an old VHS tape, just watching what happened in the seventies and stuff <laughs> on repeat? Maybe just getting a few mates around, be like, "Oh, should we watch like you know that game uh, against <laughs> Peñarol in '74?" And they just watch because, yeah, you can't live in the past. I mean, uh, listen, there are we've been to this. They're a tiny club in a tiny nation. They're not a tiny club. It's a tiny nation, and it's unrealistic to expect them to compete. But as you say, Rentistas are a good marker. What you can do, and and Nacional have been thoroughly disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, in Group F, I can. Yeah, go. I was just gonna say, it's it's kind of a shame that Argentina's juniors haven't been able to get the job done this week because really Group F is struggling to provide much enjoyment anywhere outside of Argentina's juniors, and then they kind of took that away from us unless. 
you're like David Windsor and have an affinity for the uh, the moments of madness from from leaders in a Argentina's junior side. I also like Oli how the minute we started talking about Nacional, they're like um they're like a depressant. So both of our body language like got hunched over and it was just the tone <laughs> dropped and it was I'm blaming Nacional for my <laughs> my poor poor mood. Um. Yeah, so Argentina's juniors on nine points off the four games. Universidad Católica on six, Atletico Nacional on five, and next week Nacional hosts Universidad Católica and Argentina's juniors home against Atletico Nacional. Group G. Union Lac. Calera 2, Flamengo 2. The will score more goals than you vibe that Flamengo have got, Oli. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's great. And they'll get away with it in the group stages. I worry about it maybe in a semi-final. So the, the first goal they conceded in this one, they went 2-0 down in the game, did Flamengo. The first goal they conceded in this one was just a just an absolute mess at the back. Bruno... Viana, I don't know what he's doing. He gets two or three attempts to, to clear it or make a decision. He doesn't, gets robbed. Eventually, Martinez puts it in the back of the net. Then there's an own goal from William Aral, which isn't really his fault, comes quickly and kind of hits William Aral. And then Flamengo eventually just kind of got going. Gabby goal scores from the penalty spots. Uh, and he scored six goals now in the tournament. He scored 17 goals for Flamengo in the Libertadores. He is Flamengo's top scorer ever in the history of the competition, surpassing Zico on 16. And crucially, Oli, Gabby Goal needs 11 in nine to become the top scorer ever in one season in the Libertadores. That's what he's chasing. 17 goals in the tournament. I think he can do it. Sorry, I got totally sidetracked when William Aral made up for his own goal <laughs> to, to make it to a piece later on. I was just on the Gabby Goal train. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, Gabby Goal... So this is this reaction from Flamengo, right? We we love when they're ahead early. When they're the first team to score, they're a great team to watch, right? When they go behind, they get real petulant. Real petulant. And there was... Every single football club in world football at the moment wants to be a big side and wants to have, to some extent, that brand ability marketing. And it's games like this that negate that sort of family-friendly brand ability when you see the likes of Gabby Goal. Are you talking about Gabby Goal's celebration? Well, I'm talking about... When he picks the ball at the back of I'm the net. I'm talking about that. And, the but there was just a few other little, like, bitter faces. Uh, look, extreme frustration. Flamengo want to be the side that are winning every game and they expect to beat a side like Union La Calera. And so it's just... Yeah, this is... When they're ruffled, they can get rattled, but they also have the ability to dig themselves out of the hole, which is something you have to respect. But this is, yeah, it's not the polished, glorious, ah, Flamengo, we play beautiful football all the time. It suddenly became like, right, we need to be a bit gritty and nasty. And I'm mm. I'm still unsure about their defensive line quite a lot. I mean, you look at like Me William Arau and <laughs> Felipe Luis are the two great experienced players, but Bruno Viana hasn't, impressed at all really I haven't seen much of Isla in terms of making an impact from the right back position either because it's all about Everton Hibero, Derascaeta, Bruno Iniki just off Gabigol those are the three that provide the the, the service for Gabigol 
everything else just it feels a little unstable you know when you've got like a beautiful building and you've marveled at it for for many years but then you know there are cracks just in there but everybody keeps looking and saying how great it is and so the scaffolding doesn't necessarily talking about sussex house in felton yeah yeah exactly well probably a bit more (laughs) beautiful than you know the delights of sussex house but it's like the scaffolding hasn't been put on flamengo and they haven't started to renovate and, and keep it looking really fresh they've just kind of used a bit of like plaster to pave in the cracks and and hope that it all just still works and stays up and that's the feeling i got from this week against uh union la calera i mean if you look on it they've conceded seven goals they've conceded seven goals in four games look at the company that they're in i mean nacional have conceded nine goals sporting cristal have conceded seven goals uh the strongest have conceded 10 deportivo tachio have conceded nine so they're in that kind of territory they've conceded seven goals um so yeah, like, listen, I, I back Flamengo at the start of the tournament. I still will do so because I think that Bruno Enrique, Deir Ascaeta, Everton Ribeiro, um, and Gabi goal combination is just ridiculous um, when, when it's all clicking. If, if... Uh, and I quite like Gabi goal's reaction to, to to picking the ball up in the penalty, and I know that's that kind of the goalkeeper tries to grab it. So does he, but he's just pumped up. He's just full of fire, Gabi goal, and yeah, I'm enjoying. If it. you were starting a football team or a manager of a football team, mid-level Premier League. And Brazilian football said, because I know we had the Bruno Iniki versus Oni, uh, Ronnie um, conversation last mm. week. What about Ronnie or Gabigol? If you were a mid-table Premier League manager, what would you rather have at, at the moment? It... So for me... Scarcity always determines value, right? And whilst Honey is a really, he's a fantastic footballer, at this level he's an exceptional footballer, best player on the continent. And I think he could play for numerous sides in, in Europe and do very, very well. But there's a lot of other players who do similar things to Honey, I think, mm. in Europe. There's a lot of those kind of players. And I just always think it's not a new thing to say. It's not a new realisation for anyone. But still, even no matter how the game develops, putting the ball in the back of the net is still the most valuable thing in football. And if you can buy a guaranteed goal machine, it almost doesn't matter what money it is. I mean, you talk about like Erling Haaland at Dortmund, right? Mm. Someone's going to pay 100 million for him, 150 million. And you know what? It will be fine (laughs) because that is what it costs to get an absolute guarantee of goals. That's how much it costs. They're rare guarantee of goals. And if you put the ball... To Gabby goal. I can't see how he doesn't score goals at almost any club. You know, he's that good. Um, so for me, even though I think Honey's the best player on the continent. You'd take the goal scorer. If I'm a mid-table Premier League, I, I, I want a goal yeah. scorer. No, that's fair. That's very fair. The other game in this group, Ollie, was Vela Sarsfield 3, Liga de Quito 1. Um, yeah, Velas were, were the better sides from what I saw throughout the contest, really. A word on Thiago Almada, who missed the penalty and then scored to open the scoring in the game for, for Vélez. I know he's very highly rated. You can find lots of information about him. He's someone that they really think is going to be a kind of very impressive creative force on the continent and be interesting to see how he develops throughout the course of the tournament and years to come. Uh, but, I mean, it's a great result for Vélez against a Liga de Quito side that have kind of... You know, they put in a good display last week against Flamengo, but still lost 3-2. Obviously, they beat Vélez um, on match day two. 
and at that point, I thought they were in really good shape. And suddenly, they're they're kind of in danger now. They've dropped down to third in the group. Veles a second on six points. And Liga de Quito is sort of in danger of, of dropping out altogether the top two. Yeah, I think going into this group, I was, I was a, a little stronger on Veles Sarsfield than others. You know, Liga de Quito had the pedigree of, you know, competing at this level for a long period of time, whereas Veles aren't exactly perennial Copa Libertadores features. And, um, and I think... Yeah, I, th- I just think Mauricio Pellegrino, uh, Pellegrino, sorry, has them playing a very confident brand of football that they're all very accustomed to. It's they go about their business in a in a manner that they all know their jobs and what they have to do, and if they all do their jobs, they end up creating opportunities and getting goals. Whereas Liga de Quito, on the other hand. You know, two years ago, we were kind of thoroughly enjoying the Ecuadorian upstarts who looked like there was a chance they could beat anybody in a two-leg affair if they get a good result on home soil. And I haven't had that feeling at all during this group stage for the large part of it from the Liga de Quito performances, even with the good performance last week. You never felt, you know, we've been overly confident on teams before and then seen them drop off, whereas I've never this year been confident about Liga de Quito, so I don't think I'll ever get overly confident about them. So to see them succumb in Argentina to a, a fairly hefty defeat and quite a convincing one as well, uh, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. I think Velez will be a really interesting side if they can get through the knockout competition. It's very close in the group still, but... I think Vélez can certainly be one that can cause problems for a fair few teams, perhaps not the biggest and the best, though. Mm. Yeah, in the next round of group games with Vélez at home against Union La Calera and Liga de Quito travelling to a Flamengo side at the Maracanã that will still want to win. I mean, Vélez could kind of, kind of seal second place in the group at the end of match day five. <laughs> Right, let's wrap things up with Group H. Um, the games in this one were, well, Deportivo La Guaira nil, Cerro Porteño one. Cerro was just a better side, really. Aquino scores a penalty after 28 minutes. Cerro just dominated Deportivo La Guaira, didn't offer too much. Um, yeah, it was very. Uh, yeah, it was. I was, I was impressed by them. Um, you were was, and then impressed by of, Cerro. In the in the context of the ninety minutes, I mean, yeah, yeah. Hey, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think we've learned our lesson in hyping up kind of sides outside Brazil and Argentina to 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 what what they really are when they're faced with genuine quality. But yeah, like listen, Sarah Sarah got the win. The other game um, <laughs> was America de Cali one, Atlético Minero three. I didn't want you to take me down a path, Ollie. That I, and then I was sorry, Sarah fans. Were, that was. <laughs> <laughs> That was a short-lived, um, they're going to win it. <laughs> uh, the, the other game was America to Cali 1, Atletico Minero 3. Hulk opens the scoring on 21 minutes. God, he loves scoring goals, Hulk. I mean, pumped up straight to the camera. Loves it. Um, Hulk opened the scoring. Santiago Moreno makes it one apiece. Then Arana scores to make it uh, 2-1. And then Vargas scores right in seven minutes into stoppage time at the end of the 90 for Atletico Minero. 
Nacho Fernandez for me in this game. Oli just starting, I think, to find his feet. Atletico Minero, he, he's, he's figured out. It doesn't take much to figure out, but he's figured out he just needs to feed Hulk. So he, I mean, he's literally just trying to find him. Every single time he gets the ball, he's just feeding it into areas or, or just pinging it into Hulk's feet and, and, and just sees what happens. Um, Nacho Fernandez also is taking lots of pot shots from range. Clearly he wants to get his name on the, on the score sheet for them in the Libertadores. And man, I just love watching Kuka as well. You know... This Atletico Minero side, you know, Kuka took Santos to the final last year and no one fancied them to get to the final. I don't know. And this is a... This Atletico Minero side, they've, they've got quality. So, be very interesting to see how that progresses. Atletico Minero uh, qualify um, for the last 16. They've got 10 points in their four games. Cerro in second place on seven points. Deportivo La Guaira on three points. So it would need Deportivo La Guaira to, to pick up a couple of wins in the, the remaining two games, which are both away from home. Feels unlikely, so it looks like the top two are as it is. Atletico Minero, what do you think, Oli? Dark, dark horses or are people aware, too aware of them to, to think of them as dark horses? Depends if you like, if you see being really solid as a team and as, as a squad, as a as a big bonus in knockout stage Asset. football. Cause I think that can be, I think if you are a set solid squad, that kind of works out. Everybody knows roughly what the starting 11 of this Atletico Mineiro side is going to be. It hasn't changed too much in this tournament so far. Again, everybody kind of knows what you can and can't do with this team and where their strengths are, but whether you can stop them is completely different because if it's a settled solid squad with a great leader, like they've got in the managerial position, I mean, I wouldn't say, going into the knockout round that there are many teams that you would say are nailed on to beat them and I would probably argue that defensively mm. they they have looked a very solid unit compared to some of their other Brazilian counterparts as well and they've got plenty well they've shown enough in this group albeit a weak group to easily dispose of you know getting a victory on the road in the Libertadores isn't something to poo poo a lot of the time so getting a 3-1 win in Colombia against America de Cali is is impressive as a as a result individually on its own. Add that into the fact that obviously Atletico Mineiro do have then some a, a bit of firepower. Nacho Fernandez, if he starts to come good at the right time, I mean, once the group stage is over, there's another couple of months with which will allow him even to get settled even more at this club. And mm. you know, there's a fairly high ceiling on Atletico Mineiro whether they'll actually be able to climb the ladder that's got a few rungs missing the further up they go is a different question but they can they can test most sides I think it's good.